welcome back to Vibe New Mexico. I have a really huge treat for everybody. Within the past couple of months, we've elaborated and we've visited with a lot of prestigious New Mexico music artists. But on this episode, it's very special to me, especially because we have my very good friend. I call him my brother from another mother. That's uh, Ralph Martinez and Fernando Ruiz. Of course, you guys would have to be living under a rock to not know who these two are, especially with Fernando and everything that he's accomplished through the past years. And Ralph, with just being the humanitarian and the type of person that he is going out within the community and doing the things that he has for not just the homeless, but for the community of Española. I just want to take this time to introduce my brothers and thank them so much for being a part of vibe new mexico how's it going guys good 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 and you i'm doing good what up dre day and and dre's right we we call each other brother and sister she says that i'm her brother from another mother and i say that she's my sister from another mister and so we have that <laughs> we have that connection and and um and so it's, it's it's a pleasure to be here thanks for for inviting us i'm so excited Yes, awesome. And thank you for the food. <laughs> I know I wanted to make sure I was I don't cook like Fernando, but I tried I tried. I tried to make some enchiladas and some some Nana did some tortillas and we did some frijoles jarros, borrachos and we've been sitting here so far having good conversation and talking and laughing and just doing what we do here in, in New Mexico is food brings us together in a way that brings us together within community, within uh, celebration and so many things and so it's so amazing because we have two really powerful individuals within our community that have really just reached out and touched so many different people in bringing people together in different ways Fernando with food Ralph with your heart and your just the way that you've brought so many people together even since um, the time of Oñate I that's where I first met you, Ralph, was when you were involved with yeah. the fiestas. And the heart that you had for the people was just so evident and so real. And it was just a place that made a lot of people say, this is the new approach and this is the new foundation that we need to establish here in Española. In Española, we have a reputation. And it kind of disheartens me when people are like, oh, Española is the ghetto of New Mexico. And really, we're the heart of New Mexico. Right. We have a lot... Española is the city New Mexico loves to hate. Exactly. And I think it's because of the fact that we have so much talented people that come out of Española. Yeah, but it's also the city that brings a lot of love, it too. Is. So, right. you know, it's kind of co contradictive to them on the outside because, you know, they think they know us, but they don't know us the way we know us, you know, right. here in Española. And so and so we come from a unique place, you know, we come from a unique place. And um, and I think that's that's the, the, the special thing about highlighting where we're from and being proud about where we're from is that we come from that unique place in the heart of northern New Mexico, Espinela Valley, is that place. I love that. I love the fact that there's so much flavor, so much, you know, um, spirit and so much love that come within our people that people sometimes from the outside looking in are a little bit afraid and don't really understand that. But if you sit down and really talk with some of our fellow people from here you learn so much more about our art about our music about our heart about our food about whatever it is we're bringing we are definitely a multicultural community that brings a lot of spirit and energy 
And so I want to, you know, part of the reason why I thought it was so important to do this podcast was music is, you know, that's what we do. And we've had the opportunity to interview a lot of these different musicians, but it's so much more than just music. It's what you guys are providing and what you guys have done within the communities and within the state and within the world. And so it's, it's a ripple effect is basically what it is. And you guys are making this amazing contribution to our people. And so, you know, it starts somewhere. It starts somewhere. And a lot of times people think, oh, my God, like, look at Ralph. He has it so together. Look at Fernando. He has it so together. And they do not realize what that was based on and what foundation that and what kind of sacrifices and what kind of lessons that took. And so with this, this is the beginning of one of the hopefully, you know, series that we can go on and elaborate on is to give people the inspiration, the hope, the desire to want to do better for themselves and to build up from where they're at. And right now, I couldn't think of any collaboration and anywhere that would give people that kind of word of inspiration and kind of say, this is where I came from and this is what I made, this has been what I've been able to do with my life. And, and so, and you know, Dre, um, I think that's why me and Fernando click so much is because, you know, you, you hit the nail right on the head when you said that sometimes, you know, looking from the outside in, people might say, oh, you know, look at this person or look at that person, they have it so together. And that's, that's far from the truth because we go through our everyday struggles. You know, we, everybody has their, their everyday struggles and nobody knows what it's like um, on the other end, right? And but you know, from a place where me and Fernando come from, we've learned to value um, the time that we have, right? And not and 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 use the time that we have for 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 positive things, right? And that's why me and Fernando click so much is because we we share that similar story of of struggle of where we've came from um, to to where we're at now, and we both have that understanding of. And there's still struggles right now. You know what I mean? Like it looks great on TV or keeping whatever. it real. Like we're still. Yeah, right. I don't know how together we still have it, but you know, it's still a struggle, like Ralph said. People need to hear that, though, because they have this idea of what they think it is, and they don't understand that every day is a conscious choice to make a better day or a better tomorrow, and we are going to go through struggles. It does not matter. We're not inevitable in those things that we do. Yep. So I really want to hear your guys' testimonies and where you came from. And I know a lot of people out there really need to hear these stories in order to build up and aspire to do better. And I know there's just so much that we can cover. That's why I'm like, there's no flipping way. We're going to get on one episode and be able to cover all this because this is some real shit. This is the real thing. And with a podcast, that's what I wanted to do is establish that realness that authenticity of who we are and what we do especially within our art or, or whatever it is yeah and so let's start with uh, let's start with you fernando you grew up where and how did it all begin for you i grew up in tempe arizona and in mexico in sonora in guaymas mom and dad are both from mexico um I grew up back and forth from there from the age of five to about 12, 13. I would go for the summers and my parents go pick me up and I'd stay on my grandfather, uncle's ranch and just screw off for the whole summer. Mm-hmm. Milk cows and make cheese and all that nice. sort of stuff and slaughter <laughs> and kill animals and slaughter and cook them in the ground. And um, probably from the age of 13, I got into a gang Started carrying guns at 14, started selling drugs at 14, 
I got in trouble the very first time when I was 16. 15 going on 16. And was this when you were still in Mexico? No, I was in Arizona. You were in, in Maricopa County. Okay, yeah, okay. Maricopa okay. County. <clears throat> and I remember we got pulled over. Me and a friend of mine, he was driving the truck. And I remember telling him, hey, let's go down the street and buy a little dime bag of weed. I want to smoke some weed. We were actually at the projects all night till like 3 in the morning selling drugs. And we got in the truck and we left and all of a sudden there's a sheriff behind us. And I have a backpack full of drugs. It's, uh, it was half a pound of meth and like two ounces of coke and three guns in the backpack. That's 15, 60. Wow. And um, so I get in trouble for that. They, they, the sheriffs, screwed up by reading me my adult rights. Mm. I had a little goatee at the time. <laughs> and so they took me to jail, interrogated me, started processing me, and I told them I didn't think I was supposed to be here. I'm only 16. And then they figured out I was 16. And then I ended up getting charged with possession of drug paraphernalia. My lawyer got me on off of that because they read me my adult rights. My parents weren't there while they were interrogating me. And I was giving a big old bullshit story telling them that some natives had sold me the drugs and just they weren't buying it. Well, anyways, I get and, probation. And that, and that was such a blessing, I could imagine, because had you been 18, had you been adult, those charges would have been a lot stiffer. Correct. And, and, and things would have... But the story and, gets better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Yeah. But the fucked up thing about it was the drugs I got caught for that night, my mom found them two or three days prior. Mm. Because I used to go to work and pour concrete with my dad during the day, and I would leave my bag and my gun with my sister, and she would stash it in her drawers. My sister's two years younger than me. And I would get home from work, take a shower, go to my sister's room, grab the bag, and I'd leave. And I got home one day, and it was gone. And I, I was like, and I called my sister. I was like, where is it? She's like, I don't know. It should be there. Like, I haven't touched it or whatever. And I go straight to my mom. Because I, I, would, I would tell my mom everything. She pretty much knew everything. And I was like, please give it back to me. It's not mine. I'm going to owe so much money. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then she left for like an hour. She came back. She's like, here, I don't want this shit in my house ever again. And I was like, oh, thank you, good. Got it, took off, and I got busted with it two days later. And she saw it because when they came to pick me up in the jail, that velvet bag was still sitting on the counter, and this is like, this is what he had on him, guns and all that. So anyways, I got probation for that, violated my probation again. Probably like a year later, I was about 17. I got busted with another big, probably another pound of meth, and I was at 17. And then I turned 18, I turned 19, and I never heard anything from the courts. I thought maybe they forgot all about it. It disappeared. Oh, I thought it <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm in the clear. And one day, I'm at my mom's house. I was 19, maybe 20. And um, I'm all, damn, chef, you didn't mess around, bro. Those, I went are, <laughs> those, are, those, are, those are big bags. Oh, those man. are small bags. Because, those are big I mean, bags. It was, it, it's Phoenix. It's a big city. It's, oh, yeah. it's, and it was... Yeah, I would get it very inexpensive. My neighbors would cook. Everybody was, like, making it. So, um, And so 
I remember I'm at my mom's house, and I walked outside to get the mail, and I started smoking a joint right there on the sidewalk. And I remember looking down the street, and there's a white car parked there. Eh, whatever. And I went inside. The phone rang. And my mom said, you got a phone call? And I get on the phone, and nobody's on the phone. I'm like, whatever. And I go, and I lay back down. And all of a sudden, I hear my mom scream in the kitchen. And the cops are already in the house. And I have, they go and arrest me as an adult for what I did when I was 17. Wow. And then they prosecuted me as an adult. So they waited. Oh, yeah, they waited. They waited until you turned but 18, as an until adult, you turned yeah. age, yeah. To, but to, I was already 19. To, put, to press the charge, to, to push on the charges. Yeah, because they yeah. can do that, I guess. That's slimy. I know, I was fucked up. That's slimy. And then from there, got my GED when I was locked up, got out of there. I probably did like three and a half years altogether. Then went to culinary school for like, 14, 18 months, Scottsdale. And then from there, I went to Vail, Colorado. Vail, Colorado, came to New Mexico about 20 years ago. So you went into prison when you were 19? I turned 21 you had turned when 20. I was locked up. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I was like, man, fuck, I turned 21, and I'm hanging out with all these guys? Like, that's it. What was just, is that what was going through your mind? Like, did you ever have this moment where you're like, I need to get this shit together? Where you like, fuck that shit. I just it was a survival fun. game. Like, at that I point. hate saying it. Like, I don't have any regrets. The only regrets I have is not being able to be the dad I could have to my three oldest kids than I am to my three little ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we were doing some stupid, crazy shit. We had so much fun. I don't regret it. It was, I'm glad I'm alive or I'm not doing life in prison. Because yeah. technically, that's how it's supposed to work out. And you just, I mean, and I, I'm a believer that everything happens for a reason. We're taking down certain paths in order to learn things, to help other people, and to grow from there. And I mean, the fact that now, you know, people, what I love about that story is people probably said, he ain't going to amount to nothing. And look at you now. You know what I mean? And that's like such a golden thing is to be able to be like, look at me now. But that was like the shit that I got busted for. Like, the shit I didn't get in trouble for is from bringing people over the border. I remember one time... And I don't... I'm sorry. I don't think that's wrong. <laughs> we do. Like, we used to oh do it my, by the truckloads. Back then, we were charging $500 a person. Yeah. And they would only walk four hours. And then we'd get them in a U-Haul truck. And we'd pack, like, 40 of them. I remember one time we drove to Nogales, because we used to take stolen cars to Nogales and get $1,000 per car. And then when we were in Nogales, we would drive back drugs. And I remember one time we just did, a, it was a 100-pound block of weed, just in the trunk, with the trunk closed. Not trying to hide it, nothing. Like, either we're going to get through or we're not going to get through. And we're hanging out with, like, beach hats and looking like tourists <laughs> and shit, sunburns and, like, going a little shopping. And, yeah, where are you guys coming from? Where, what were you doing? I was just hanging out, bullshitting for a few days. Where'd you stay? We know the, where the hotel was. We know everything. Go for it. Go ahead. All right. See you later. It's like, <laughs> Damn. That's crazy stuff. But, so, like, what was your big break when it came to, like, cooking and, <clears throat> you know, started with, what was your big break when it started for you, like you knew this was your calling. Um, well, I was working in the jails when I was I was working in the kitchens when I was locked up, and I was like, "Well, this is cool. Like, it's big kitchens. Like, everybody's got their shit together. Everybody's doing something." And I already knew how to cook from watching my parents cook and my grandparents, and we'd slaughter and butcher and all that shit. Um, 
probably when I was locked up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. this is what I want to do. It was pretty easy. It came easy. I remember watching Emerald Live a lot when Food Network first came out. And that was before anybody knew what Food yeah. Network was. And, and never in a million years would I be like, oh, I'm going to go on Food Network and three, win three shows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. whoever thinks that. Who right? the fuck yeah. know? Yeah. So, so what, what I think a lot of people want to know is how did you get to New Mexico? How did you get to northern New Mexico? What brought you here? So I, so we hunt. I'm a big hunter with all my family friends and all that. Um, a family friend of ours who's an investment banker in Phoenix who's from here named Leo Valdez has a big house in Estaca. And we ended up going hunting one year. And I had, and I remember when I, I had been like, I hadn't been home like in a week, just out doing drugs, selling drugs. I would probably sell more drugs than do drugs. Um, I remember coming home and I was like, man, I'd been gone for like a week and a half, looking like shit. And I get there, and everybody's getting ready, packing up the trucks. They're all going deer hunting, elk hunting up here in the Gila, and we're in Phoenix. And my brother said, um, come on, let's go, man. So we're going to go deer hunting. We're going to be gone for like two weeks. We got deer tags, and then we got elk tags. I'm like, all right. He's like, you can basically just leave here for two weeks, and then you'll be good. Because he knew I was fucked up, too, on drugs. And so, um, so yeah, we're in the mountains for like two and a half weeks, the first the. the Three, the three first days were probably the hardest. But after that, I went walking around. We went deer hunting. I ended up finding a bunch of good, like, edible mushrooms, and I picked a bunch of mushrooms. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, okay, You're a I'm shaman. Clean. I'm, I'm <laughs> clean. I'm detoxed. I'm in the mountains. There's no way I'm ever going to, like, drive back and try to get drugs. And that's how I kind of... And so Leo, he was hunting with us, and he said, Hey, why don't you go and take care of my house in Espanola and get away from Phoenix because your mom wants me to ask you to leave here, go hang out with me, watch my house, and and that's how I ended up here. And that was like 20 years ago. Wow. Totally awesome. Uh, was there any rumor at the time? Because you know how a lot of people talk about Espanola and they talk about, you know, I didn't know what Espanola was when I got here. how bad the drugs are down here. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I remember, you know what I'm saying? I remember like, one so year. You came to Espanola to kick drugs. Yeah. You know, that's like yeah. quite the opposite. That's crazy. But when I got here, I mean, I still saw some drugs, and I hung out with a few people that would I would see. Um, but by that time, I was like, I don't know if I want to do drugs anymore. That's cool. Like, I don't remember the last time I did drugs. Wow. Had to be at least such a huge circle and come around, especially to you know, for creator, for God to come and bring you back to a place where it's so stereotypical the drug capital of. See, and I didn't know any whatever New Mexico three, four, five years into it. And when I first moved here, there wasn't meth in town. Yeah, a lot of people didn't know what crystal was. Oh, what'd you go to? What'd you get locked up for? Or trafficking crystal? They're like, what's that? It's like meth. And now, that's all there is. Just most recently, did something yeah. like Within that. Within the last the block. eight years? Yeah. Yeah. Because even when, like, because I've been clean for nine years now, and even when I was still doing whatever it that was that I was doing that wasn't around. in 2012 when I stopped, and before that, you never found something See? like that around here. Like, you heard about it, you know, like maybe up in Albuquerque or up in Farmington. And I've seen big people up, slam, up, like, and, crystal. And up like. there. And at one point, I, I, I was, um, at one point, I was at rehab in, 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 in Farmington, and um, and I left I left the rehab up there and I went looking for um, 
I went looking for a fix, you know, and 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 all they had up there was crystal meth, and I had never really done it before. Did you slam it? That that was the first time that I ever tried it. That was the first time I'd ever tried it, but I didn't understand it because it didn't give you that same rush that um, like that cocaine did, right? And that's what I was addicted to. I was addicted to cocaine. Cocaine was my was my biggest vice, you know. It was my biggest vice, and so that's what I was looking for. And so I never really got the concept of it, but. You know, even now, like looking back and seeing from when it kind of hit the, the streets here in Espanola and when it kind of first got introduced around here and seeing I have a really I have really close family members, a, a really co- close cousin that um, that passed away um, because he got addicted to meth. And I just saw I just saw the state of minds that it takes you to. Right. That's it takes people to, it, to a different to state of mind. And it's. And it's the and, and it's a common thing with meth users and and so I freak out on that drug. I never really mess with it. Don't know really too much about it. But you know, and I thank God that it wasn't here at the time that I was addicted because I don't know if somebody when they get into that state of mind if they can actually come back because I've seen them. A lot of them don't. I've seen it. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of them like don't. You, just, you and you see that often, right? And it's like, and you just it just you know it it, it makes me think. It makes me think. But you you know, you realize that you're messing with a whole other demon. Yeah when it comes to that stuff. And so knowing that you were involved with meth, even before meth was big the way it is, California and, then moved and then it worked its way down here. Yeah. And to know that you, um, that you were able to, um, to break free from it and get away from it is, uh, it, it's miraculous because a lot of people don't, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, I, I'm just always love to just sit back and listen to you guys talk or just to hear even Ralph that you've, when we first met Ralph, he came to us with his testimony. See, and, and I think Ralph's story or struggle is even harder than mine because, I mean, I was homeless for like four or five months. He was homeless for years mm-hmm. doing heroin, and I don't even like needles. Like, I wouldn't even be able to, you know. I give him more credit than I do. And sometimes we don't see, like, our struggles, and somebody else kind of looks at you and goes, oh, my God, you know what I mean? Which is so amazing because you came from a different place, but you had similar issues. You know, when I first met Ralph, I was just like, damn, you know, this is the hope that Espanola needs in order to to come up from this place because we're so stigmatized here. And nobody gives Espanola credit. And... Here you have somebody who's not only overcome his demons and working toward betterment of not just the himself but of the community, but you have somebody who now wants to be in leadership who I believe is, with all my heart, is perfect for that role here in Espanol to make that change. And, you know, I, I want to now turn and talk with Ralph on your testimonial, your place of coming up from where you were and I just, I know with you, it goes on and on and on and on and on, Ralph, because of the passion that you have within you. Um, when we first talked, I said, you know, I really want to get you in for a podcast because I think people need to hear where you came from and where you're headed and where you've been and all in between. It's like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? And so, like, we just want to kind of hear, you know, I think these are very two very successful men who have been able to overcome a lot in their lives and ad- readily admit that they're still going through this every single day. And we know that sobriety is an everyday choice, especially when you've been through what you've been through. But can you do me a favor and just kind of go back and tell people that don't know, what's the story of Ralph Martinez and how did this all begin for you? 
So my name is Ralph Martinez. I was born and raised here in Espanola, New Mexico. I come from um, from a really large family in, in the middle San Pedro area. Um, the Quintanas are my family. My mom is the youngest of 14 children. And out of those 14 children, out of all my aunts and uncles, branches off into dozens and dozens of cousins. And so I come from a really big family. Um, it's It was me and my mom and my brother. I have a brother who's a year and seven months older than me. Uh, my mom was a single mom um, who was left to raise two boys on her own at the age of 18. Uh, my dad and her were both young when they when when my mom when my mom had us and my dad when when uh, when I was two years old uh, my dad up and left he left to Florida um, he was facing a lot of things from his past and he felt like he had to do what he had to do right and he he took off and he left us behind and we were living in the low incomes we were living in Pajarito and and um, and my mom worked hard my mom really really worked hard um, considering the environment that we were in right and. I mean, at the time, we didn't know really what that environment was. But looking back now and seeing it from um, from the eyes that we that I have now, you know, it was it was it was it was a tough position that my mom was left in. And and she uh, she worked hard. She worked hard. She worked two jobs to get us out of that environment. And and um, we moved around a lot. I remember we moved in with my grandma for quite some time. And then we moved in with one of my aunts for quite some time. And then we moved in with my uncle for quite some time until my mom was able to afford her own little single wide trailer. It was a really small two bedroom, single wide trailer, um, older single wide trailer. But, um, but my mom saved, worked hard and saved up to buy it. And, and that was our, that was, that became our home. My, um, my grandma gave my mom a piece of land and she put the trailer on the land and, and, um, and we watched my mom, um, go through all those struggles and reach goals like that. Right. Um, but she had to work her butt off in order to be able to reach those goals. And, uh, me and my brother weren't the easiest, you know, um, and my brother more than me. My my brother more my brother more than me. Right? So I was the good kid. I was the I was the good. Yeah, I was. Yeah, he's not here to defend himself. So I'm gonna just lay it all out there, right? I was the good kid, and my brother my brother was more of the rebel, but he was he was also my um, my older brother, you know. And but so anyways, yeah. So I come. So that that's kind of like my background of my childhood. Right. And witnessing, um, witnessing all these struggles that my mom was able to overcome and, and, and realizing how hard she worked. And so I, I, I valued that even as a as a youngster, elementary, junior high, like I saw that I felt it, I valued it. And um, and, you know, my mom would always talk to us about, you know, about not doing drugs and what drugs do. And, you know, and when we got to high school, you know, it was just it was it was, it was a weird era. It was a weird generation, you know. Uh, nine, nine, early 1990s That's gangster, era. gangster rap, you know, Tupac, Dr. And, Dre. And, and everybody was everybody was looking to make a name for themselves, and and um, and 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 I, I found myself um, curious about things, right? And that's where it all starts. You find yourself curious about things, and and I'll, I'll never forget the first time I ever did coke. The first time I ever did cocaine, I was in the tenth grade. I was in the tenth grade, so I must have been fifteen. 15 about 15 something like that yeah 15 15 16 and uh, so my mom used to work graveyards my mom used to work graveyards and she worked at the casino when the casino had first opened and and so there was a party at our house like every night right whenever my mom was gone we'd party at my house and and then we'd kick everybody out about three in the morning so we can clean up as good as we could so my mom wouldn't snap right but we had these we had these um these friends right they're really good friends 
And even to this day, they're still really good friends. But at the time, um, we were all young, and I remember they would fiddle around with that stuff. And I remember um, one of the nights, they, they pulled some out, and um, it was late at night, and they asked me if I wanted some. And I said, what is that? And they said, it's cocaine. What does it look like? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what cocaine looks like, right? And so I was like, kind of curious. I was watching. I was like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. Because I remember all the stories that like I heard you know, growing up from my mom and my aunts and my uncles and TV and this is your brain on drugs and all that stuff, right? <laughs> the egg. Yeah, thinking about the egg frying in the, in the frying pan. And um, and so I was like, no, nah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm good, I'm good. And then, uh, and then about a week later, we had another party and those same friends, you know, they, again, they pulled some out and, um, and I said no a second time. And then a few days after that, we did the same thing. And they, they did the same thing. They pulled some out late at night. It was like 1 in the morning. And by then, I was like, I had been watching them, right, to see how they would act after they did it. And I was like, I don't know. They, they, don't, they, they seem normal, right? I don't know. They seem a little energetic. I don't know. And so, um, and so I tried it. And I remember the first time I tried it, I felt like, whoa, this is like the best feeling that I have ever felt in my life, right? I felt like, whoa, I felt 10 feet tall. I felt bulletproof. I felt like nothing could stop me. I felt alive. I felt awakened. I felt like it took me to that place, right? And it was like, wow. Like, that's what it, like, that's what I've been missing out on. That, I, I remember thinking that. I should have done it two yeah, weeks I, ago. Yeah, I should have done it two weeks ago. Is that, exactly. <laughs> you guys are right. Yeah, I'm like, you guys let me miss out on this, right? I'm like, I should have tried that two weeks ago. And I remember the first time I, I did it, I thought, it's not as bad as I thought it was, right? And I think that's the mistake that people have, that's you know? That's because you, tell, you make yourself think that. Yeah, like, yeah, and so, and so, I, and so I said, it, I, I thought, well, it's not as bad as, as, as my mind, as, as I thought it was, it's actually quite the opposite, right? And so that thought alone started to lead me to doing it more and more and more and more and more, right? The feeling that it gave me, the thought that it was good and that it's not as bad as I thought it was and how I had control of it. This is something I can have. This, I have total control of this. Like, I don't know about that guy and that guy and that person and that person. They must not be able to have control, but I do, right? Because I'm stronger than them, right? And that was the, that was the thought, right? And so, That's so crazy. And, and so it started off as, as an experimental thing, right? It started off as an experimental thing. And, and, and over time, it just kind of grew. It just started to take its, 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 uh, its natural course. How and, long did it take you to say, or how long did it take you to say, Oh, I'm, I'm, I want to go buy me a bag of Coke. Oh, probably like, pr- like, probably within a week or two after I tried it the first time, I was like, oh, okay, we're gonna get some of that stuff, yeah, right? But and it would happen like every so often. It wasn't an, an all-time thing. I was still young, and it was, but as the that was my tenth grade year, my eleventh grade grade year got kind of worse. Twelfth grade year got kind of worse. I graduated in 1996. Okay, graduated in 1996, and when I graduated, um. I was, I felt, I felt lost in a world of confusion, right? Because you step out of that adolescent into like a whole nother reality, right? It's, you're, you're, in, you're in adulthood and all of a sudden you have all these like pressure, Welcome to the jungle, pressures baby. Of, yeah, exactly. You have all <laughs> these pressures of life like waiting for you and you don't even, even though you're told about it and you're told about it and you're told about it and you don't realize it until you cross that threshold, right? And so, and so I stepped into like, I stepped into adulthood and um and I settled down right out of high school. I settled down. I met I met a girl um and she had she was a year older than me and she had two kids. At the time the kids were 2 and 3 years old and um I I made the commitment to step up and um and act as their father, right? Their father was out of the picture. 
Um, he was going through his own personal things at the time, right? He was a really good guy. I, I, I knew the guy. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's passed away since. Um, but I knew the guy at the time, and, and um, he was a really good guy. He was just going through his own things, you know? And so um, I stepped up to the plate and, and, and chose to, um, to attempt being a father and being um, a boyfriend, you know, and starting a family. We started a family. We, uh, we, we, were, we both worked hard. She was a paralegal. I studied and I got my CDL. And so I started driving trucks by 99, 1999. I was already driving trucks. And we got a house up in Velarde. We had a four-bedroom, two-bath, and an acre piece of land right next to the river. Really, really nice. Me and um, me and my stepson would go to the river on the weekends and we'd just go chill and fish. And I remember thinking, like, this is the type of things I wish I had a father for, you know, because I grew up without a father. And so I always wanted to be that father that I never had, right? And so, um, but in, but, 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 but I still had that thing on the side, right? I had, I, I, I would still go out and I would still party because that's what I, that's what I had to customize myself to. That's what I was used to. Um, by 2001, um, I was, um, I was fully addicted. Um, by, 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 by the, by 2000, I started to show signs of addiction, right? I started to, um, I started to not be able to hold a job. I um, started to take $20 out of her purse, out of my ex's purse, you know. I started to take, you know, DVD. DVDs had just came out at the time, so they were big. Everyone was like, oh, my God, a DVD, right? Do you have VHS or DVD? (laughs) You have a DVD? I got a DVD. I'll sell you a DVD, right? And um, and so I started to to, to do those little things and and started to show show signs um, of being an addict, right? And... And, um, and I was in my circle, right? I was, I was in my circle. Everybody outside of my circle, um, you know, would tell me, like Jennifer, my ex, she was the one closest to me. And she would tell me, I, I, see, you where, I see where you're headed. I see where you're headed. And the more she would tell me, the more I'd get mad, right? Because I didn't want to believe that. I didn't want to believe that. Because why? Because I was stronger than that, right? But in 2001, I remember waking up one morning after going on a long binge I went like on a week long binge and I remember we, and, and, and then I finally fell asleep and then I slept for like two or three days and then I woke up and I remember laying in bed. I remember the fan going on in the room. I remember it was about 6.30 in the afternoon. The blinds were closed. I can still feel that feeling of, um, of disappointment in myself, you know, for doing what I, what, what I had just you done. You always feel like shit the next you, day. You feel like dirt, man. As soon as that man. sun's coming up, you're like, man, I can't feel like the biggest fucking loser doing all these drugs all night. Yup. Like, wow. Yeah, you start to feel it. And, and I remember laying in bed and I remember just staring at the fan and I remember thinking my body was hurting. My body was hurting. Um, my, um, my thoughts were just not like the way they used to be. And I remember thinking about all that. I remember thinking, I'm addicted. I'm addicted. The cravings, the cravings were so deep, right? The cravings were so deep. And all I could think about was I need, I need to get high. I need to get high. It's not even a matter of do you want to? It's I need to, right? And so I remember waking up one, I remember waking up that afternoon and I remember thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm addicted. You know it. When, when you get there, you know it. You know it, right? And that's probably a good and a bad thing because when I realized that, I kind of accepted it. And whatever you accept is huge, right? Because it, that's, what, that's what you, that's the seed that you plant within yourself. And then your thoughts start to water that seed, right? That you believe that you um, accept, right? And so I accepted it. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I, I did it. 
I, I, I got addicted. I'm it addicted. just came out of nowhere there. That's so like, I, I'm sitting here listening and it's like, I have, I have a grip on this. And then all of a sudden you wake up and this epiphany is like, I don't have a grip on this. It, it really, now it has me, but it's like, there's no middle with this. It's there. And then it's here. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And you try to convince yourself that it's not because you'd rather do drugs than not do drugs. Well, the accountability at the time. part of it right. is huge. Like, if you know you have a problem, then you have to do something with it. And so it's better to stay kind like of. Like, same with me. Like, I, I remember stealing from my parents money, cash, gold, jewelry, whatever, guns. Wow. Yeah. Just to try and get what you needed. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Addiction will make you do um, things that you never thought you would do you know yeah. and um and that that when I, I when i when i when i woke up that morning or that afternoon I, I i knew i was addicted i kind of i accepted it and um and it just started to get you know things just started spiraling out of control um from that point forward and i started doing things as the years started to go on that um that um that just fed my addiction you know, I started, I, I, I couldn't hold a job for nothing. I started to um, just take anything and everything that wasn't bolted down. And at the time, you know, we were trying to raise a family and my ex was, and, you know, I give her a lot of credit because she put up with a lot for a lot of years. And um, I would sell everything in the house and she was so embarrassed. She didn't want people to find out. She And she was a hard worker and she would buy everything again and just for me to turn around and steal it again, you know. It got to a point where um, where I would go into her purse and take all her money. Um, I, remember, I remember one of the first times that I took her whole paycheck. She had just got paid. It was a Friday. And, um, and I, we had one car. We had one car. And um, I had, I, I was using the car that day. I told her I was going to go look for a job. And, uh, but I never did. I would always go look to see where I can hustle up a, a, a 20 bag or, or, um, or a 40 or a 60 or whatever I can hustle, right? And, um, and I remember I went out hustling that day. And um, I remember thinking, um, Jennifer gets paid today. Like that was all that was on my mind all day long is Jennifer gets paid today. And um, after work, I went to go pick her up from work. We went to go pick up the kids from after school care because they went to after school care. We went to go pick them up. And we were driving home, and um, and I kept looking down. She had her purse in between her and the middle council, and I kept looking at her purse thinking, how am I going to get into that purse, you know? That's where my mind state was, bro. My mind state was all on that purse. And were you doing – were you high throughout the day? Yeah, I had already. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had already got high a couple That's of times, and my mind was already stuck on it. Right, it was stuck on it, and she's telling me all about her day. I'm not hearing a word she said. The kids are trying to tell me about you know their day at school and at after school care. I'm not hearing a word they're saying. All I'm focused on is that purse, and so we get home. We get to Velarde. We get down. The kids run into their rooms, um, and Jennifer goes in. She puts her purse on top of the uh, kitchen counter, and she goes to the restroom to go use the restroom and to go change. She had been in her work clothes all day long. And as soon as she walked in there, I looked at the purse and I thought, there's my opportunity. And so I walked to the purse and I opened it up and I remember she had just got paid. It was $528, $528. And, uh, and I remember thinking, I'll just take a 50. I remember I got a 50 and I'm thinking really, really fast. And I thought, and I thought, you know what? I've done that shit with my parents. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? No, 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 no. And I'm trying to think fast because I know she's about to walk out of the thing. So I, I put the 50 back and I pull out a hundred. And then for some reason I said, fuck it. And I grabbed the whole thing, the 
the whole thing, all $538. I grabbed the keys, I tippy-toed out of the house, I closed the door real soft, and I booked it to the car. Jumped in the car, started it, it peeled out and took off. I took off, and I remember driving away thinking, okay, Ralph, don't spend the whole $538. Do not spend the whole $538. Go to the Connect and get yourself a 40. That's all you need is a 40. That's all you need is a 40. That's all you need is a 40. I get to the Connect, and what the first thing I say, how much will you give me for 500 you know that's the first and so i bought this big old stash i bought this big old stash and i went on um i went on a binge bro was there reasoning going on in there like i'll double it or was it just i just want to sit here and just like do it or were you sitting there going i could totally fucking get money from this and and then and this and then i could double her money like were you sitting there trying to think through this like oh i mean exactly gonna miss nothing yeah that's what they do that's what we do as addicts like me in that particular negotiation i'm I'm negotiating with myself i'm thinking okay if you just if you get a big stash then you can sell half of it get your money back do the other half and you got high for free Mm -hmm. and there it is it's a win-win right but, but once you start, you can't stop once you start especially you're not not, yeah no no I went, you go and you find the most remote place, the most out of sight place that you possibly can. And you go and you flip out until those drugs are gone. You go and you flip out. And I remember I went and I parked, um, I parked, I had this space, this place up in um, uh, Prairie Dock. Way back there I would drive and there's this, there was this really big bush that sat on top of a mountain. And I would park behind that bush because if you park from behind that bush, you can see through the bush and you can see the main entrance to Prairie Dog. So, and Prairie Dog is one way in, one way out, unless you come from the Trucha side, no, yeah. but usually they come from the, from the Alcalde side and, and it was like a good spot out. Like you would, I would sit there and I'd flip out and watch to see, make sure no one's coming for me, right? No one's ever coming for you, but you always think somebody's coming for you. <laughs> and so anyways, I got lost for a whole week, for a whole week. I didn't go back. I didn't care if that it, I didn't care that it was the only car. I didn't care that she had a job to go to. I didn't care that the kids had school that they needed to attend. I didn't care. All I cared about was that moment in getting high and knowing that I had that dope right there in my hand, right? And that was like the first time that I had ever done that. So when when it was all said and done, when the dope was gone, the money was gone, and it was time to go back home, I remember I didn't know what in the hell I was going to do. I had no idea. I drove out and I'm driving home. I'm driving towards Velarde. I swear I'm driving like 35, 30 miles an hour. And I'm trying to like figure it out, right? And I'm thinking about everything. And I remember thinking, you know what? I'm just going to go home and go pack all my stuff. That's it. That's the only conclusion I could come to is she's going to kick me out anyway. I would kick me out, you know? I'm, I'm going to go home. I'm going to pack all my stuff. And I'm just going to do them a favor and I'm just going to leave. Because they don't deserve that. And I knew that in my heart. In my heart, I knew that they didn't deserve that. And so I remember I got home, and it was the afternoon. It was about 5.30, and I opened up the door to our house. And when you open up the door, on the right-hand side, there was a couch, and it faced the TV, um, which was up against um, uh, one of the walls. And um, when I walked in, they all three of them were sitting on the couch, Jennifer and the two kids, and they were watching TV. And I remember I walked in, and me and Jennifer locked eyes, and she just looked at me and she just shook her head and she turned and looked at the TV. And the kids were looking at their mom and they were looking at me and looking at, and they were like, they knew something was wrong, but I don't think they fully knew, right? And, um, and so I didn't say a word. I went straight to the bedroom. I went straight into the closet 
and I started packing my stuff. I started getting my stuff and I started throwing it inside of a big black trash bag and Jennifer walks in. She said, what are you doing? I said, what does it look like I'm doing? She said, Ralph, what are you doing? I said, I'm packing all my stuff, Jennifer. She said, why are you, why are you doing that? And I said, what do you mean why am I doing that? Look what I just did. Look what I just did, Jennifer. And, um, and she started pulling the clothes out of the bag and she started telling me, you know, you can't leave. You can't do this to us. You can't do this to us. Don't be such a pussy. She started telling me, don't be such a pussy. Man up, man up and grow some balls. And I like, and, and for a moment I sat there kind of lost, right? Because here I am trying to pack up to leave because of what I just did. And here she is pulling my stuff out of my bag, almost begging me to stay, telling me to grow some balls and, and, and man up. And it was, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. So that was like the first time that that ever happened. So then it happened again, again, later on down the road, it happened. And I went back home and I started packing my stuff and she started pulling the stuff out of my, my bag. And she, the same thing happened again. And after a while it became a routine. I and knew, you knew you I fine. knew already. I can, I can you steal can, all her money from her purse. Yeah. And, and it's going to be the same every time and, you go back. And I, every time I go back, I'm just going to start packing my stuff. She's going to beg me to stay. I'm going to stay. And that's it. Until next time, yeah. right? And it became a habit. It became a habit. It became a habit. And, um, and that happened from 2001 to 2006. And in 2006, I'll never forget, I went on a mission. Right? I used to always go on missions, right? And I went on a mission, and me and uh, a friend of mine, I remember we had been up for about four days. We hadn't slept. It was like five in the morning. And my friend, he's, um, he's part Mexican, and so I remember he made a phone call. He was talking um, in Spanish. And I don't know Spanish. And so I wasn't too sure what he was talking about. But I got, he was talking in Spanish. He hangs up the phone. He looks at me. He says, do you want to go to Albuquerque? And I said, Albuquerque. And I'm laying in the passenger seat of his car curled up in a ball because I'm hurting, bro. I'm hurting. And I said, Albuquerque for what? He said, I just got off the phone with the Mexicanos. They said if we go up there, they'll give us one black and one, one white. And um, he said, we can go, we can get that, and at least that'll get us well so that we can go hustle. And I'm like, dude, I'm hurting. I don't care right now. Just if we're going to do it, let's go. Like, get us up there. And we flew to Albuquerque. We got up to Albuquerque about 6.20, 6.30 in the morning. In the morning, we met up with the Mexicans. He called them on the way up. We met up with the Mexicans. They, um, they, they gave us uh, a dub of white and a dub, a dub of, of Coke and a dub of heroin. And we found ourselves a little parking lot and we got well and we decided to go into Albuquerque to go hustle. And so we drove into Albuquerque and we went to go hustle. Um, I'm not going to get into detail, but longer story short, we ended up staying in Albuquerque for a month and a half. <laughs> a month and a half, bro. A month and a half. We At this it. point, were you already... Do, using heroin or had you not even started yet yeah 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 okay. by this time yeah, yeah. It, it, hurting, all start, it started like, off with yeah. the coke it all started off with the coke eventually graduated you know to heroin and eventually right. okay. did, did, eventually we, you don't, I, I didn't care One what it was led, led One, led to went the to next, another to yeah the next. and 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 they got yeah and so um and so we we stayed in albuquerque for a month and a half but we would hustle and okay, it was it was easy to hustle up there, you know, and and um and and I just you know I thank God that we never got hurt or got in trouble for any of the things that we did, you know, and um and and we stayed up there a month and a half. I remember the last night that we were up there, we had um we had just um uh we had just hustled, and we had just scored some dope, and we had went to a Walgreens. It was a Walgreens down on Manal, 
Um, uh, and we were at the Walgreens and we did, a, we did ourselves a shot. We were shooting up. We did ourselves a shot. And we were just laying there, both of us with our with our seats all the way back, and we were like. At what time was this? It was in the evening. It was about eight o'clock. It was about eight eight thirty, and we were just laying there, and both of us looked like skeletons. You know, we both looked like skeletons, and um, and I remember looking over at him and him looking over at me, and he said, "I think we should go home." And I remember I just did this with my head i couldn't even talk i was so <laughs> faded bro i was so faded bro faded and i just did this and um and so we did he started the car and here we go we came home he went and he dropped me off in Velarde that night because i was still with jennifer i was still with the kids and i remember i walked in that night and all my stuff was packed on the floor in big black trash bags all my stuff when you first walked in it was all right there Jennifer was there, and I remember she turned. And I remember the look that she gave me. And you know when you've been with somebody for so long, you can look at them and you can just tell, right? You can just tell. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember she looked at me and she said, you need to go. And I knew that she was serious. And I started to try to, you know, beg and plead and, you know, let's talk about this tomorrow. And, and she was done. And she kicked me out that night. So prior to this, right, prior to this in 2006, um, I had already started to do things like at my mom's, like take things from my mom and take things from my family. So for like the past year and a half, my mom had already been telling me like, you're going down that road and you're going to lose everything. And if you lose everything, don't think you're going to come over here and you're not going to do that shit you're doing to Jennifer. You're not going to come over here to this house and do it. And so my mom was already on that, right? I, I had already created that environment with my family with my immediate family right and so that night when jennifer told me i had to leave my homie hadn't left yet and so um and so i grabbed my stuff i threw it in the car and i asked him to give me a ride to to my mom's and so he took me to my mom's i got down knocked on the door and my mom was really upset she knew i had been gone for a month and a half was there any communication between your family or mom the whole time you're in albuquerque with me yeah no I disappeared, literally disappeared and off the face pretty, of the earth. And that's pretty, that's pretty, ster- that's what happens. When that's typical. That's typical. Yeah. yeah. You just don't have communication. And it's, it's like. it's not, you're not just hurting you. Now you're hurting your mom, your dad, right. your parents, it's your brothers, your sisters. Effect. Nobody knows where you're at. They probably think you're dead somewhere in a ditch. And, and that's, that's, yeah, that's part what of, my parents would always tell me. And that's, yeah, they were. Right? I'd be asleep for two days because I'd been up for a week and a half. And <laughs> my, mom, choking, yeah. my mom would literally <laughs> say, I would go check and see that's if you're fucking breathing. Yeah. I remember falling asleep one time with the meth pipe on my on my chest like I just passed out with like a little bag I remember taking a big old rip and it, I'd been up for a while and I remember just laying there and I passed out and I remember waking up all scared looking for everything and everything's gone because my mom would come in and make sure I'm awake and then she'd go in there and I'm laying there with like a pipe and a stash on my chest and she was just always so worried oh, yeah. about you and a mom's a mom and a mom's yeah. a mom no matter what even through an addiction and we're not just hurting whatever. ourselves we're hurting everybody around us and that's what I think sometimes, though, that you're so immersed in that addiction and that demon that you don't realize that. Like you said earlier, Ralph, like you don't realize the effects that other people are having because you're just focused on getting what you need. That addiction kicks in, right? It takes over everything. It takes over your mind, your thoughts, your feelings, your sensations. It just it takes over everything. And that night, um, my friend took me to my mom's 
and I went and I knocked on the door, asked my mom if I can stay the night, and she was really upset. She started screaming at me, where in the hell have you been, you know? And we got into a little shouting match, right? And um, and my friend, he took off. Yeah, he was, by this time, he was done. Yeah, like, yeah he like, was like, that's I'm it, like, I'm done, I'm out of here. So he took off, and I remember grabbing my bags that I had with me, and I remember walking down to the bridge right there by the Johnny's Auto Parts because, you know, my mom di- didn't, we didn't live too far from from the Dandy Burger and that bridge right there by the Johnny's Auto Parts. And, um, and, and that was the first night that I spent homeless underneath that bridge. And um, I ended up staying under that bridge for almost a year almost a year and things just went from bad to worse to bad to worse to bad to worse to bad to worse once you start digging your hole you almost get to a point where you figure i've already dug this deep i might as well just keep digging what the hell else do i have to do you know what else do i have to do i think that's when it hits hopelessness where you're at this place where you you have to hit rock bottom to do better i completely agree with that like but then you have a choice too when you're there to stay down or to yeah, to because it's not back up, up to mom, dad, grandma. Yeah, at to that put point, there's accountability. Because if you're not ready or if it's up to the person. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, I imagine that that would have to be the hard part, though, is coming to that place where you're like, I can't fucking do this no more. Where was your turning point? Where was your turning point? Well, so from there, so that was in 2006. So I, I um, longer story short, I ended up staying homeless for six years. From 2006 to 2012, I lived underneath a couple of different bridges here in Espanola. I lived in abandoned homes, abandoned cars. Um, I lived in the Bosque area behind Walmart in makeshift tents. Um, I, I, I uh, would find myself in and out of jail for petty, petty, petty things, you know. And um, I, I went to rehab um, a few times in between 2006 and 2012. I went to rehab in San Diego I went to rehab in South Florida. I went to rehab twice in Farmington. I went to rehab in Hernandez. Um, and my last rehab was at OI in 2012. And so well, when I was going through what I was going through, I, I always felt, I always, I always wanted to stop, right? I wanted to beat it, just didn't know how. It's not that easy. I didn't know. I didn't know how. And that was one of the biggest things. Um, and it, it was so hard facing people that I knew because people had that one question that I never had the answer to. Why? Why? Why are you doing this, Ralph? Why don't you just stop? You still don't Why, have an you know, and you it. don't, yeah, and you don't, and you really don't, you don't. because because no. that drug is that powerful, right? It's that powerful. But for me, I mean, and everybody's different, right? Everybody's different. But for me, um, you know, I thank God that I was able to survive some of the situations that I put myself in, you know. And, um, and it got to a point in 2012 where, um, I learned a lot about who Ralph was, right? A lot. I learned a lot about what Ralph could do. I learned a lot about what Ralph can't do. Um, and, and it got to a point where, um, I almost felt like, like I can feel death, like breathing down my back. Like I can feel that, right? It got to that point, and I knew if you don't do something now, um, you may never come back. I knew that. And did you think you were the death was going to come from the drugs or from you doing something that was going to either get either you killed or. or do life? E- either or, either or, yeah. either or. Either it was going to come from the drugs, or it was going to come, yeah, from something that I was doing, or I was going to end up getting locked up forever. And I didn't want that either, right? I didn't want that either. And so by 2012. 
by 2012, I had learned a lot. There was a lot of trial and error in between that time. And, um, and so stepping into recovery, stepping into recovery, there was a lot of acceptances that I had to do, right? That was my foundation of recovery. And it took a lot for me to figure out that there was just things that I just needed to accept in my life, right? There's a lot of things I didn't accept. A lot of things I didn't want to accept and a lot of things that I refused to accept, right? That pride thing, right? That pride thing kicks in hardcore and heavy. And, um, but in 2012, I came to a lot of acceptances. I accepted the fact that, um, that I was different than everybody else. And that's fine because all of us are different. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes us special, right? Um, I learned a lot about what I could do and what I can't do. Um, I accepted the fact that there needed to be boundaries in life. And that's a good thing because boundaries keep you in between the lines, right? Before, I was the type of person, if you said, hey, Ralph, you can't do that, I was going to say, watch me. Watch, this. watch me do it. <laughs> and I would do it probably 10 times worse than what it needed mm-hmm. to be done just to prove to you that I could do that. And in the end, I was only hurting myself, right? I had to accept the fact that um, life wasn't a race, and, um, and I had to accept the fact that I still had life to live. And that was huge because I had already lost a lot of people that I knew because of that lifestyle. Um, I OD'd twice. And so I almost lost my life on those occasions because of that lifestyle. And to come to the point to realize just how precious every second is, um, it was huge. Um, I accepted the fact that life wasn't a race because of this. Um, one time, this was in 2010, I was living in a tent behind the Walmart and um, I was living in a tent behind the Walmart and I remember I had, I had been hurting all day long. I was, I was, I was hurting all day long, um, curled up in a ball. I was going through withdrawals and uh, I couldn't move. I just, I couldn't move. And I remember it was a summer night because I remember I could still feel like the warmth on my skin. And I'm laying there in, um, in this little makeshift tent that I had next to the river. And the sun was just starting to come down. And I remember thinking, if I don't go hustle now, I'm not going to have anything to hold me over through the night. And would you always roll by yourself or did you have somebody? or? I always preferred myself by myself. And everyone's different. I know yeah, people yeah. that like to roll in groups. I was the type that I, was, I felt more secure by myself, right? Um, I would roll in groups sometimes or with another person person so but mostly by myself and so um so this one night um i remember thinking if i don't go hustle now i'm not gonna have nothing to last me for the night and so i forced myself to get up and there was a little trail from the campsite that i had all the way to the north side of walmart and then so i i I followed that trail i popped out in the back of walmart but on the north side and um i walked up um along the the side of the building and then when you get to the front of Walmart, you kind of wrap around, you take a right, and you're headed straight towards the front doors. And as I'm walking towards the front doors, um, I see a classmate of mine walk out. It's him and his wife and their two kids. And uh, when I saw him, I froze. And I, I put my head down. I had a hoodie on. And I remember I pulled my hoodie down around my face. I put my hands in my pocket, and I looked up. And I just watched them walking across the parking lot. They walked all the way. They're pushing a basket full of groceries. They walked all the way to a white Camry. And um, I sat there observing him. He didn't see me. They didn't see me. But I was observing them. And I'm looking at him. And I'm thinking, he's doing pretty good in life. Or it looks like he's doing pretty good in life. 
He's dressed really nice. He has a really pretty wife. She's dressed really good. Their kids are dressed really good. Um, she was putting the kids in the back seat and he's putting the groceries in the trunk and I'm watching and I'm thinking they're putting groceries in the trunk probably to go home, to go eat, to go make dinner. You know, what else do people do at this time of night? You know, going home after grocery shopping. And I remember looking at all that. And then I remember looking at me and, and you know, when, when you're homeless, you don't have luxuries. You don't have the luxuries of showers or baths or, you know, or a running sink or a running toilet for that matter or a laundry to wash your clothes, you know. I would go months. I would go months without washing my clothes. I would go months without taking a shower. I'd go months without brushing my teeth, you know, things like that. And it had been months that I had done any of that. And um, the clothes that I was wearing, I used to go to the thrift store and people would leave donated clothes, bags of clothes on the on the doorstep in the middle of the night and I'd tear through them and grab whatever it is I felt I could wear. And, and I'm a small guy right now. You know, when I was all messed up, I was probably like, I don't know, 90 pounds, you know? And, um, and so I remember looking, I remember looking at my classmate and I remember looking at myself. I remember looking at my hands and I turned my hands from looking at the palms to the back of my hands. And then I remember looking at myself from the ground up. And then I remember just seeing that, look that I had on me right and I looked over at my classmate and I'm thinking how in the hell did I get here in life me and him had the same opportunities we went to school together since the seventh grade the seventh grade we had the same opportunities we graduated at the same time and he's over there packing his groceries inside the trunk getting his kids all uh, seat belted in getting ready to go home to go make dinner you know, in that very nice car, dressed, looking really good, probably has a really good top. And I remember looking back towards the trail that I just walked out from and I'm thinking, and I came from over there. How in the hell did I get so far behind this game of life, this race of life? I remember thinking that. And I remember my heart starting to pound in my chest. And I remember thinking like I got anxiety. And I remember thinking, I need to escape reality. Like I felt so far behind the race of life. And I felt like I need to escape reality right now. I need to get high even faster, like right now. And I held on to that. I held on to that for a lot of years of that I was so far behind the mm. race of life. Everybody else was so far ahead of me. And I'm so far behind. It's how, so crazy. How am I ever going to catch up? And then, yet yeah, that addiction told you, get high. Get high and escape reality. Yeah, escape it. No accountability. It numbs, don't, it numbs you know, the pain. You let's know? Just, just get high. Yeah. That's really the demon of addiction, though. That's yeah. exactly what it does. Is It kind of, like you said, numbs you to reality. And the real, the, the realistic situation of what you're seeing, like, I can be here, but I'm going to get high. Yeah. But, you know, and I mean, so many people are still stuck in that cycle. You know, what do you think as far, and you said you were in so many different rehab programs where are they missing the mark ralph like when you come to rehab programs where is it that they're missing that help or that preventative aspect or component of it it's so where is it it's so easy it's so easy that it's hard right Mm -hmm. the 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 part that they're missing is to really want it you have to really want it it's up to the person it's a choice it is a choice and so in 2012 i came to the acceptance that life wasn't a race and um, and I came to the acceptance that I still had life to live, right? And so it was all these acceptances and, um, and knowing that I really wanted it. And now I understood what I could and could not do because I knew what it was going to take to either succeed or fail. Really, truly. Because for a lot of years, I was trying to get to a point 
where I can have the best of both worlds. And you can you can't have your cake and eat it too, man. You just can't. There's sacrifices and choices. There's, that you need to there's make. choices, and so and I made the I made the choice. I made the choice to start making better choices. Mm-hmm. I made that choice before I even walked in the front door. I knew what I was up against. I had already been to rehab all over the place. I knew what I was up against, and I told myself I had to be real with myself, right? I had to be real with myself, you know, because at the time that anybody can lie to anybody else, but when you when you turn around you and you're real with yourself. That's a whole different concept, right? Because that's the that's the truth of the truth right there. That's and when you're owning a little bit of responsibility. That's when you're owning it, yeah. And that's the hardest thing is taking the responsibility. Yeah, so let's let's break through this because so many times stereotypically they'll say rehabs fail in this because they don't do this or they don't do that. And we've said, you know, the person needs to want sobriety completely in order to make those changes in their life. But do you think as far as like in Rio Reba and Santa Fe County that we're missing somewhere when it comes to the rehabilitation? Is it the wraparound services? Is it the accountability? Is it meeting people where they are and following up? Where is it that the community is missing when it comes to sobriety and helping people to continue to keep that sobriety in yeah. whatever it is? Yeah, and I think you I think you you hit it right on the head right there is meeting people where they're at. Getting to know individuals on an individual basis on an individual circumstance establishing it, trust it, establishing trust it's not sobriety isn't a one-size-fits-all um you know recovery isn't a one-size-fits-all of course individuals need to want it but even if they want it that much if they want it a mustard seed of faith that's it right that's all it takes and it takes the right type of water to to water that seed in order for something positive to grow right and um and, and, you know, like for me, when I, when I stepped into recovery, I, I knew, I knew what it is. I had accepted all these things. I accepted all the things that I had created, um, all the, all the, the situation that I put myself in. Um, and, and I just started taking those steps that one day at a time thing that really, 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 really works. And, uh, and it's tough because, you know, in life, sometimes it's, it's only natural for as human beings to uh, allow our minds to get so far ahead of us right. that all of a sudden we're in a world that hasn't even happened yet <laughs> and all the worst of the worst is happening and mm-hmm. has happened, you know? And it, and it can break us down. It knocks, it knocks our confidence down. It knocks, um, it knocks our motivation down. And, um, and, and, and we allow that to happen to ourselves because we have control of our minds. The minds are a powerful thing, right? And so stepping into recovery and... And, um, and for my first year of, of recovery, I had to do a lot of that, right? Is catch my thoughts and say, okay, you're thinking way too far ahead. Come back to right now. Just come back to right now and focus on what do you need to do right now? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I need to do. Okay. And, and you know, and let, and let tomorrow happen when tomorrow comes. That one day at a time thing, it really, really, really works. I believe that wholeheartedly. It's like we can totally get ahead of ourselves. I'm like, I'm... I mean, I still do that. That's me. I, I, I'm like just going to say... Like day by day, I have always a little piece of paper <laughs> with, what. okay, I'm doing this, 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 and this. I love your shirt, by the way, ADHD. I'm ADHD. That's why we click so much, because I get your mind. Like, it's like, fuck. I'm focused on everything going on around me right now, and I'm listening to you, and it's like, I'm in every aspect of that, and it's kind of like, it's Same insane. Here. But... For me, just speaking from that ADHD mind is like I really need to have a set and I've trained myself because if not, I'll start like I got to do this. And then all of a sudden I find myself doing like five other things. That's my ADHD. But like really that accountability and every day is saying this is like my list and this is what I 
sometimes I think that even maybe even sobriety is like that gratitude list. I'm grateful for today because of this, the serenity prayer, being grateful for what I've accomplished today, looking at what I've, or what I've accomplished yesterday. What am I going to accomplish today? Looking forward to the future and setting those goals for yourself is what makes a healthy and successful individual. Um, Fernando, tell me a little bit about like your whole idea structure now compared to what it was 20 years ago. How do you look at reality now compared to what you did back then? I never in a million years thought I'd be in the position I'm in now. Like, especially with the whole Food Network thing or opening up restaurants. Just really quick, just this. tell me, and we're going to elaborate on this a little bit more, and not to like cut you off or anything, but you are a prestigious, prestigious person when it comes to like the chef. You've beat Bobby Flay, nobody, Bobby Buffet. Who beats Bobby Flay? I'm like, who beats Bobby Flay? Fernando beats Bobby Flay. I was like, do I really need to cook for him? Because I'm also, I, I got put like on perfect. What is it called? Performance pressure. <laughs> who, who's been? Who's been? Who, who else has been a guest chef? On the Today Show for the Thanksgiving season. What? Two years in a row. Yeah. Come on now. This guy. <laughs> so yeah. tell me, like, I mean, this is an amazing success story, success story, but it it really did have its bumps and its bruises. There's always ups and downs. And a, right. You're going to make good choices and bad choices, just like when we were younger, we made good choices, made stupid choices and bad choices. <laughs> um, yeah, it's still the same thing. You're still going to have bumps in the road. You're going to get promised the world by certain people. And there's people with some people with agendas. And there's people that are, aren't. Right. And now I'm probably said I hit two, three bumps in the road in the last four or five months. But now it's 100 times better. Well, when we're, one door closes, like five more open, and you have those opportunities. Was, yeah, that's exactly how it happened. Because there's at least three new doors opening. I mean, and and it's totally just like the energy and the vibe that you put out. You know what I mean? Like, Fernando Ruiz is a name. It's an established name mm-hmm. now. Yeah. It's who you are, but you also are. It's registered and trademarked now, There you too. go. You know what I mean? So you're like, so there, bitches. <laughs> For all you people closing them yeah, doors. Yeah, got <laughs> Let me slam this one open in your face. But, like, now you, like, exactly. You've come through these bumps and these bruises and everything else to come out in this place where you're amazing at what you do. And not only that, like, again, food is such a huge part of, like, the Hispanic community because it brings people together. I yeah, always say is, music food and food. Is life. Yep. Yeah. You don't have, I you mean, even if you if have, have music, food. if you don't give them food, they're going to be fucking pissed off and yeah. they're going to want to stay. <laughs> There's food and music Food still event. precedes, you know, booze or anything else when it comes to an event. You need to have food. That's the main ingredient yeah. in a good party. And fellowship breaking bread it brings people together it's who we are as a culture and you've been all over the world to share that with so many people what is one of your most prestigious memories when it comes to sharing your authentic hispanic mexicano side with other parts of the world is there ever been an opportunity for you to do that i'm just curious i mean i do a little bit of that now doing private events because then I can do whatever I want to do like I don't have to follow somebody else's steps or somebody else's menu or somebody else's rules because now it's me making my own rules if that makes sense yeah you're the boss yeah you're like I'm the patron now and I'm (laughs) it's kind of easier it's more stress-free right that way 
anytime you can make the rules and tell people what to do, it's like, yeah, I'm, you answer to me and I don't need and to answer to you. And it depends who, I mean, surround yourself with good people because it has a big reflection on. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So like, this is totally like not the last time that we're going to, you know, talk. And I know this is like part one of other um, episodes that we're going to do. I want to ask also, you know, Ralph, you know, with everything that you've been through, you started, and we'll cover m- more of that later on. Yeah. But you've been, you know, a very vital. If there's an event, Ralph is there. If you want somebody to be passionate about your cause, Ralph Martinez is the name to go to. You've learned exactly the need that's in this community because you've not only been a part of the community, but you've been a part of even the homeless community where you've watched. I mean, Ralph has a homeless shelter that he's helped to establish within the community. I can remember being, you know, a domestic violence advocate with the crisis center and them saying, we need something here. And it was like, we don't want to bring it to the community because we don't want to call more of the problem into the community than it already has. It's like, wake the fuck up. Like, what are we going to do if we don't do what we need to do? You need to provide the help and the support within this community in order to be to help with the problem. Yet it seems like for so long Espanola's kind of shied away from that. Kind of turned the blind eye. And blind eye and saying, you know, yeah, you know. And and we've heard other communities say we just send them to Espanola. They look at Espanola as like the dumpster to dump everybody at. But you know? they only know Espanola from the drive coming through Espanola. And going and to it's Taos. a lot of it's stereotypical. Oh yeah, yeah. and go around the. The outer edge of Espanola. Right. I was driving in today thinking, look how pretty and green it's starting to get through the valley. Yeah. And people don't see that part of Espanola. Well, they just drive through because it's a lot of times and then they're scared. But you know what I mean? Like, what I love about the fact that Ralph has really helped open up the eyes to the community. But not only does he stand in a, a leadership position, but he also stood in a place where he was homeless and he looked at it through the other eyes of where the people need a voice and a lot of times people just don't have that voice or they don't want to use their voice or they don't know how and now Ralph you have that opportunity to use your voice for those people and to speak out on behalf of the people that are less privileged or the people that are being oppressed whether it's drugs or it's anything else you have that opportunity and been given a great um, responsibility for the people of Espanola to be able to voice that to other to our community and so because of that like you know, you're you're starting off where you were, and now in 2022, you're going to be the municipal. You're running for municipal judge, right? Yeah. And this yes. is like this is like such a leap from where we want to start, right? This is such Vote a leap. For Ralph. <laughs> yeah, but this is such a leap, and like no, honestly, like even before you know, when I sat down and first talked to Ralph, I was like, damn, this is the voice that Espanola needs because too many people are afraid. And they're too scared to say what needs to be said. And that's not Ralph at all. That's definitely not Ralph. Ralph will say what needs to be said. And he says it in a very gentle and a very loving way. And I think we've been like harshly oppressed for so long. We don't need the people trying to ride on each other's backs. Ralph comes in as a very authentic and genuine person from a very difficult background to be able to turn to meet all aspects of within this within this community, and so I'm just like so excited, you know. Because he's of, never been prepped to be politician. You know what I mean? Like he's 
just a regular fucking person. Like, but that's what we else. need. Yeah, we don't exactly. need no more politicians. I'm a, pub, get, I'm, I'm a pub, a public servant, not not a politician. Exactly. So, you don't yeah. need to get prepped. You know? We don't but, want but, and, and that's that. the thing oh, okay. is that we, we all go through what we got to go through in order to get to where we're going, right? And we learn a lot. That's life, right? We, we, we stumble and we trip and we fall and we get back up and we learn um, somewhere along the way of those struggles, from those struggles that we face. And everybody faces struggles, right? But um, yeah, we um, um, I'm getting ready to throw my name in the hat for the 2020 uh, City of Espanola Municipal Judge race, um, and I'm leaning a lot on reformative justice. I believe wholeheartedly that individuals need to be accountable for their actions. Had I not been given the opportunity to be accountable for my actions when I was going through what I was going through, I don't know where I would be today, right? I have people have to be accountable for their actions but at the same time i don't think that jail is always the answer i think that there's a more healing way that we can look at situations and take the opportunity to be able to use situations like that to make healing and not more hurting if that makes any sense i know what it's like to be in the jail system especially for the younger crowd because let's be realistic let's all be realistic i'm gonna say 85 percent of any normal human being in high school experimented with weed, acid, mushrooms, cocaine. Just a lot of people never got caught up into it, never got in trouble for it. And more than half of the politicians, I would say all politicians experimented with drugs. Mm -hmm. And to be able to say judges experimented with drugs in high school, you're going to pull that one over my head. And to be able to put kids in the system for experimenting with drugs in high school and getting them into the system and turning it into a business like not only jail's that, not the answer no, and, yeah, i mean there is not. people that belong in jail for shit that shouldn't be done yeah but not but, for petty but not not for petty things not to not not to put them in in a in a place where they feel trapped in that system right because i know that i've been put in that place in 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 my lifetime where I felt trapped in the system for a lot of years and that's a whole nother branch on the tree right. right that's a whole nother branch on the tree and um and so and so we we, we take a look at that and, and we, we 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 think how can we use these situations to be able to help individuals now the thing about the municipal courts is the municipal courts are like the um the lowest court on the judicial totem pole mm -hmm. right it, it all it, it starts off at municipal and then it's magistrate and then it's district and then it's supreme and so on and so Which forth. Which to me is where you can grab the where issue you, at where the you root can, of Where the you can problem. be that safety net because every every criminal mind starts somewhere and that's usually in municipal court. There you go. Right? It starts in municipal court and then eventually individuals graduate to magistrate court and God forbid they find themselves in district court because mm -hmm. when they find themselves in district court, that's when they are starting to look at some real time. That's when real things are starting to happen. And I plan to use my background, right? I plan to use what I've been through to be able to connect with individuals and say, I've been there. I've done that. I know, I know what it's like. I know what it's like. I know, I know, um, I know what it takes to, to, to be, I know what it's like to be in that position, but I know that getting out of that position is a reality also. You don't have to stay stuck in that position. You don't have to stay where you're at you can grow from where you're at use 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 what you know and grow from where you're at right and so it's it's using it as as, as a safety net and um and it just you know for you to be that person that believes in somebody to help them to find be the next fernando ruiz to be the next ralph martinez to be the next person that makes it 
is that's what they need is somebody to believe in them you know somebody to give them that opportunity or that chance because too many times especially within this community you're judged yeah. and you're not given the opportunity and We're still it, judged. it and it, it happened <laughs> right. so it's about re it's about changing and and seeing things differently you know what i mean yeah. and and that's where change comes in and that's where you know fresh people come in because like you said earlier you know what i mean it's and uh, politicians are politicians and a lot of times that's a really hard word for a lot of people to swallow because you don't know how trustworthy they are they're going to say whatever they can to get the vote. Yep. But when you know somebody's walked that walk and they've walked in those shoes, then you're a little bit more like, wow, if my kid gets in trouble, I'm going to want somebody standing in their corner helping them to get the help they need like Ralph, you know, and being inspired to become somebody like Fernando Ruiz. Like that's exactly what you need. And that's the kind of direction we need in this community. That's where the gap is. That's why I asked earlier, where is the gap? Where is the prevention or the, you know, where is it at? You know what I mean? And the fact that you're exactly the person that we need in order to help to evolve into that is just so exciting for somebody like me. That's just, you know, a community member watching you know, saying, damn, this is exactly what we need for that for that change within the art community. So I'm really excited. I'm really excited, and I can't wait for part two of our next talking with uh, Ralph, Ralph and Fernando because we have a lot more, and I already know this is going to be something that's really... I want to hear a. I want to hear a little bit if if he doesn't mind. Yeah. Um. If, if there's any little secrets or tips as to what Fernando got's coming up, I would like. So to yeah, hear we're a definitely. What's happening? That, you know, we're definitely gonna I'm end with that. I'm excited. What's coming up, um, What's I coming up, Fernando? Tell us. A few things working. Like I said, I'm surrounded by people who are protecting me now. Um. They've managed to get me attorneys that registered my name. They opened me up my LLC. Nice. Um, I'm working on two projects, possibly three. I have another meeting next week. One has to do with Meow Wolf and Area 15 in Las Vegas. And the other one has to do with Colorado Springs. Mm. And the other one would be here in Santa Fe. So you have a lot and I've been in and out of town. I go to, yeah, I leave this weekend to Colorado Springs, go to Dallas next week, August, California. I'm doing a wine dinner at a winery in Santa Rosa. Fernando, don't mess around. Me and Fernando. Now the world's coming back to normal. Yeah. Last year, dude, that shit fucking sucked. Me and, my buddy, me, me and my buddy Jason the Butcher, my co host from the Springs, we were traveling. We did Aspen Food and Wine. We were traveling everywhere. And last year, it just stopped. And, so crazy. And I thought, man, maybe that's it. Maybe the momentum just stopped and that was it. So like, insane. But no, it just keeps my schedules. No, because again. people like food and we need to eat to survive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even during a pandemic. And the cool especially. thing is now, like, I've been doing a lot of private dinners in and out of state. Um, I can charge a good amount of money and 
it's fun. Like, and Fernando's everywhere, man. Like, me and Fernando are really I good friends. I might need a part-time job, guys. I'm me, just saying. <laughs> me, and, me and Fernando are really good friends. And we, we're, we're both early birds. Yeah. We, we're both we, up we'll way before we'll the sun rises. Yeah. By, 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 by 5.30, 6 in the morning, we, know, we have our morning you're like, conversation. Yeah. yeah I, it's an, it's I noticed an you're thing. like on Facebook early in the morning. Yeah. Like, I was like, what the fuck? This ask, is like 3 in the morning. Angela how, how early <laughs> she, I wake she, up. She said, she's like, he's up all early. And I'm like trying to. And I'll call Fernando and I'll be like, what are you doing? He's, oh, not much. Over here just got to Colorado Springs or not much. I just landed in Vegas or not much. I'm headed over to Texas or not much. Going to uh, all over the place. And I'm like, dang, dude. Like, I thought I was busy. This dude is like all over the place. That's amazing, though. That's awesome. I got some really cool, good people behind me. Well, I mean, you. With with no agenda. You know what? And it's the most important thing. And it's so, so, so um, amazing. Not amazing. It is amazing. But I'm saying it's so, you're so worthy of that because you're just like this genuine, humble person. You see Fernando and he's not like, you know what I mean? You're very humble, very genuine, real down to earth. And that's because like, I, I believe it's because you've lived that life yeah, where you're right. like, I'm people, I you know what I mean? I don't anything anymore. Like, you, know, you know, Bobby Flay, you're, you're better than that. You won that sucker out, you know what I mean? You just, you're who you are and you do you and that's why I think things fall into place for you and I just commend you for that. It's amazing. Thank you. It's just getting better. It'll get better and better and it's getting better and better. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Ralphie, Yo. what's coming up for Ralphie? Oh, I'm he's running for president. <laughs> <laughs> he's not president. We, we have a strong campaign coming up. You yeah. know, the the um, municipal elections here in the city of Espanola are scheduled for March of 2022. And so that's about nine to ten months away. And so I planted the seed already with the release of my intent to um, to to run. And um, and so, you know, we, we have a, about ten months of of of, of campaigning. And, uh, and and that stuff isn't easy, you know. That takes a lot of a lot of work and a lot of a lot of support, and you know. And so so I look forward to all of that and in, in trying to um, um, build a foundation for that for that judgeship position, and and we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens in March. But um, but you know me, I can't sit still. I can't sit still, Dre. And so, I think as you a matter ADHD, of fact, I think we need to get you a matching shirt, yeah. Fernando. ADHD one and ADHD <laughs> two. Thing one yeah, and thing exactly. two. <laughs> yeah, me and Fernando uh, and Toby Morphine are working on a project. As a matter of fact, and um, so cool. And uh, Toby, uh, we we just did this community mural of healing project. Ah, yeah, yes, and and and, yes. and 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 that took place over at the um, transitional housing, the old motel that Espanola Pathway Shelter purchased in December. Um, we we uh, Espanola Pathway Shelter were blessed to be able to acquire this old motel there on Riverside, and we've been using it as transitional housing. And so we put a project together called the Community Mural of Healing, where we did this um, mural that depicted just that, right, healing and community. We got community um, uh, artists to go in, and and they, they they made this beautiful mural. It's kind of a two-sided mural. Um, on one side, it's the Phoenix rising, um, and it represents uh, rebirth and and um, so amazing. yeah, rising out of the ashes, and um, wow. really, really, really vivid. And on the other side, um, it's 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 the it's the cityscape of Espanola. It's our community, right? We have um, the the Black Mesa in the black in the background. 
we have the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, and then we have a silhouette of the Pueblos or Pueblos that surround us. Uh, we have a silhouette of the Santa Cruz de la Cañada Church. We have a silhouette of the um, Gudwara, the from the Sikh community. And of course, we have um, uh, Espinela in that silhouette, and it all wraps around to what our community is, right? And so it took the artists two weeks to, um, to from start to finish to finish which the mural, nothing which for is them. nothing. And they, they tore Toby tore it up. Him, He's him, and all the artists, they all they tore it up. I love that. I love that you bring in every aspect of the community, which was an issue that we have that we'll talk on next yeah. podcast. Which is so dumb. It is dumb. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we all get punched in the mouth. We all believe the same color. Exactly. I love that. We all get punched in the mouth and we bleed the same color. (laughs) Honestly, like if we get into this place where we start to point fingers at people and say we're. We can all point fingers. We We can all all say we're this and we're that. Right from wrong. We've all fucked up. You can point like, one finger at somebody, but you got four pointing right back. Well, <laughs> yeah, so. not only that, but like a whole fist yeah. <laughs> to punch yourself right. in the face. Yeah. <laughs>